0: Hey um, welcome to the Overshare pamphlet. My name is Rob and I'm the host of this Want man show. Welcome back, second week, second episode, we're rolling, today we're rolling again. And we have another very special episode. We're approaching actually Christmas, so mm, just wanted to like put it out there that probably I'm gonna do like another episode before I leave for the holidays holidays are for me like on the 23rd so i'm gonna be gone for like two weeks i guess after the new years i'm probably gonna be back like the weekend after or some or maybe the weekend after that after new years we'll see but yeah welcome back um today we're talking about some very interesting topics of course we're gonna get into Pink Friday 2, the new Nicki Minaj album, came out literally today. I'm recording on a Friday, um, so it came out today. I had the whole day to listen to it, so yeah. I just wanted to like do a little like fresh review and a, I guess, um, like a first impression, I guess, on the album overall, yeah. Then we're going to get into the uh, Time Magazine, Time Magazine's Person of the Year. You already know who it is, Taylor Swift. And I'm going to get the last story is going to be about uh, dating apps and algorithms. So yeah, a lot of juicy topics, a lot of um, personal stories, like like, when it comes to the last one, I guess. But yeah, these are the three main topics and I hope you're tuned in because we have a lot to discuss. But before we get into any of that, we're going to, of course, start off with the tracks of the week. Of course, the segment returning again every single episode. So, yeah, let's get into them, you know? So, um, first track of the week is Be More by Stephen Sanchez. So, this song... How did I find out about this song? I think I... Yeah, it was in my discovery... um, My weekly discovery playlist on Spotify, the automated generated one, like the... Yeah, the automatically generated one, yeah. Um so yeah, that's the song that was <laughs> like recommended to me among among the many other ones. But this stuck uh, stuck out to me and was honestly like a very um I would say like overall, like it reminds me a lot of um I don't know if you ever well, I don't know who's the original singer of this song, but I've heard for the first time on Chain Melody sung by Elvis Presley, of course, but I think there is multiple versions of the song like by, by different artists. Back in the days, they used to, like, uh, the, different art- artists, at the same time, used to, like, release the same song, but sung by different people, of course, yeah. So, I don't know who made the original song, but this song, Be More by Stephen Sanchez, reminds me of Aunt Jane Maldi by, specifically, Elvis, in my opinion. But, yeah, and, um, It's in my winter playlist that I just started, Um, so go and check it out. Um, I was reflecting on the episode of when I I was going to put the Dominic Fike song, and I finally also found a place for it, so also the Dominic Fike song is um, in this playlist as well. So, yeah, we're getting started with the winter playlist. We're getting, um, we're building it up, you know, hopefully loads of um, you know interesting songs are gonna come out this year and well the end of this year and start of the next one so stay tuned stay tuned for that yeah so next song is loved you before by peach prc i don't know anything about this um artist don't know anything like literally zero but um the song the song was also really really nice i really enjoyed it it's been a repeat for this week and I'd say that the reason why I really like it is uh, because it sort of reminds me of um, Grimes if you're, like, if you're, I guess, like, mostly, um, like, the pop music that Grimes does, the, her singing style specifically. I don't think it sounds like anything like, in terms of production specifically to, uh, like, it doesn't sound anything like any other Grimes song, but it's more like the singing voice and the way she sings it and the way that uh, vocals are, I guess, edited in a way. But, yeah great song very cute lovey dovey song it's about love it's about love i think the concept of the song is actually giving timeless by tara swift to be fair like it's um like even if in another like in the past in another life we would have still like met each other or something we would have fallen in love and all that um but sound wise i would say like it's more like a city pop song and my favorite part of the song is the bridge So, so 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 good uh the bridge is the highlight i think of the the entire song so good it's a very it's a very poppy song very poppy song very um pop-centric so check it out and the third song i would say like probably last song because i'm gonna get into so much more music uh in the next story but i'm gonna close with this one because we're gonna then move into the uh album so the last song that i think actually is the my, is my favorite song of the week is animal by neon trees <laughs> keep in mind that um, this song is quite old, I, I guess it's quite old, yeah, was it, like, in 2000 and... Th- what, was it 2012? 2010? So, I don't know, I can't remember, but I cannot remember, but... That time, you know, t- early 2010s, probably. So, yeah, I don't know, like, I didn't know about the song, honestly, then I was, um looking at some uh, TikToks and I found out about this um, performance that Taylor did during our Speak Now tour where she covered this song and I thought it sounded really cute. See, and then I found out that this song is actually Neon Trees already did like um I, I already had like one of their songs saved it's Everybody Talks um I don't know if you know that song probably you do it's very popular like very, it was a very popular song as well But yeah, um, in my mind this song is like a morning, like a morning song, like a kickstarter I guess, like it kickstarts your day, perfect mood, really nice, very beautiful lyrics I would say as well, and super super catchy chorus, I find myself humming the chorus all the time, and you know it's been a repeat, it's been a repeat, Um, but yeah, so check it out, check it out if you haven't. so yeah, I was planning to put more songs in here, but I think I'd rather just get into it because, of course, um, a new album came out, and it's the long-awaited fifth studio album by Nicki Minaj. So, yeah, this is gonna be my first story of the week. I was really waiting for it. I started, like, typing out my notes earlier, like early on during the week because I was trying to get ahead of the game, and so then I was only left with like actually listening to the uh, to the songs in the album and then do a small like a small review like fresh thoughts on the on the album overall yeah so yeah i think it's definitely a day like today is definitely like a day to celebrate because you know this is the fifth studio album by miss uh, Nicki minaj uh it's been five years actually also since her last album queen so, Nicki Minaj, the generous queen, as AJ would say, has finally released this fifth, the fifth thing, thing. that's, that's, how, that's how she calls it, you know? The album is called Pink Friday 2, and I think the title in itself is, of course, as many could tell, it, it's a huge deal. If you know anything about Nicki, you know that Pink Friday, the original one, is a topical album for her career. It's her first, like, it was her debut album, full album, yeah? Came out... In 2010 and it was um maybe i, I think to this day is quoted as the best and most consistent album she's ever done actually um i mean i think at the time many people were quick to disagree with that but i think with with time you could really see like the artistry behind this specific album as well yeah not to say that she hasn't done any other great albums but i think pink friday is probably the most um consistent when it comes to sound and like image and also would say um you not know, PR and all that stuff like it's all like very like well thought out um era in general yeah so Pink Friday was also apart from like being in itself a huge master, like a masterpiece for her career it was also like an iconic I guess like I guess in general like for the 2010s like we're talking about early 2010s like she, she literally opened 2010s with it and I think it's yeah it was a moment for the culture in general um it set the tone I guess for and and many other trends as well for what many female rappers are doing today in my opinion from Doja to Lotto to Cardi B to Megan Thee Stallion all these girls are her sons how uh, she says you know this album is more than uh I would say like more than the pink print itself I think this album is a standard actually for a commercially successful rap album. She really paved the way in that sense, yeah? Uh, so, well, I, I guess, like, the, the originality about this album is um, the fact that he brought together, like, pop and rap for the first time. He revitalized a dead very much that corner at the time, um, of the music industry, female rap, of course, and it catapulted uh, Nicki to stardom and cultural relevance, I guess, yeah? Yeah. So it was a moment, it was a moment. Um so you could only like, you know, argue that Pink Friday 2 should at least come close to it or at least it needs like, you know, has a lot of um weight on its shoulders, you know, like it has a lot to live up to. Um but yeah, let me get a bit more into actual uh, the actual Pink Friday, the original one, because I think we need to establish first the the mother before we can talk about the daughter, you know? So as I said, the album came out in two thousand and ten, and it's it was exactly a year after her third mixtape "Beat Me Up, Scotty," which uh, received already by its, like the, uh, by itself like a positive, very positive critical acclaim, and it also established I guess like for the first time a, a real fan base for Nikki. Like the the barbs were born, I think, more from "Beat Me Up, Scotty" than her actual discography. Yeah? Pink Friday, the OG, was also the first album that Nicki made with Young Money, her record label at the time. Now she has her own record label. Um, So, yeah, that was, you know, a great start for Nicki. Um, Notably, she did not sign a 360 deal, a 360 deal, yeah. Um, So she she got a great deal, I think, out of the, the contract, and that's the reason why she's not super eager, I guess, to, like, pump out album after album but she's more like about the artistry and about like you know doing collaborations where it feels right and all that yeah so she because she's not pushed basically by the label to and you know to she doesn't owe any albums to the label in that sense she's, they're, they're not part of the contract you know nikki's uh, promotional uh rollout for, the, for that album for the original uh, pink friday was also i think insane and in hindsight quite iconic i would say she had a total of eight singles the girl was releasing a lot of singles for this album of course we have the supermodel super bass we all know about her then the forever classic moment for life we all know about this one as well then we add daring and infectious did it on him, and my personal favorite right through me and many others you know right through me is probably like one of my favorite songs by her like it's so good it's very poppy very actually it's very like there's very little rap in there but i don't know she she came through with that, you know. She cannot do anything wrong with um right through me. The album was uh, also filled with a lot of collaborations, like a lot of features on there. Uh, we had Rihanna, Drake, Kanye West, Will I Am, and more people, of course. But yeah, notably Rihanna and Drake, and you know they were at a time as well dominating the the music, um the music, uh, the music scape. Yeah this era as well I think showcased most of what we all know today about Nicki Minaj's personality like a very bubbly hilarious and I guess also meme worthy I guess personality at the time I don't think memes were as relevant to the culture as they are today but she kicked, like she reached, literally was one of the personalities more than all like she was of course a, a huge rapper but I think also she established herself as a big personality for the rest of the music industry so um yeah pink friday was incredible (laughs) so yeah um nikki was also like clearly hungry like she was uh rent was due for nikki so she was literally self-promoting the album at every single occasion she had like girl was not like you know was, was not sleeping she was constantly um of course trying to get as much attention as she could to the album. Um I'm sure you're all familiar also with her um, iconic meme where she takes the mic at the AMAs in 2010. And right when the people are announcing, like they're about to announce the winner of one of the prizes, she she grabs the mic and she says, Pink Friday since Tours tomorrow. Give it up for Pink Friday, you guys. Like That was <laughs> the best moment ever so funny, and so iconic, honestly, like, queen shit, for real, um, I think also her style played a huge role in the rollout, as well, like, it was a sort of, like, also a PR, a PR move, like, a promotional, um, you know, addendum, in I guess, like, to the, to the promotional, um, rollout in general, so, yeah, she was, um, I guess, for that time, they were kind of in style, but, yeah, very, <laughs> I don't want to say obnoxious, but, very weird costumes, like you know, very I wouldn't even call them like most some of them are dresses, but most of them are like weird costumes, like almost bordering like Lady Gaga at the time as well. And very sparkly clothes, colorful, very camp. Very, very camp. Love, love that for her. You know, she um she was wearing a lot of wigs, a lot of colourful wigs as well. And she would work into the promotion. You know, she was not not as I said, like she was not letting it go under a radar. She was on it. The Arrow uh, like overall was also very successful. The debut was incredible. Superbase notably be- became her biggest hit at the time, uh, peaked at number 3 at first on the US Billboard Hot 100 and then entered the top 10 worldwide, and then five other singles peaked within the top 40 of the Hot 100 at the time. So, a very successful rollout I would say like for the time it was honestly a f- um a success definitely. And Nico, uh, Nikki also, I guess, had like, um, it, well, like when you think about Nikki, I don't I didn't think specifically think about her tours, so uh, you think more about like performances at iconic shows and all like all that stuff. Um, So she did instead have like a five-day promotional concert tour in October only. I think it was only held in the US. And... That was also like a centerpiece in promoting the songs, as much as she could, and after a much anticipated release, um, Pink Friday debuted at number two on the number, uh, on the Billboard Hot uh, hot 200 for the albums, yeah? It sold 375,000 copies, and its first week was, like, today the girls would love to have these numbers, anyone would love to have these numbers, anyone on the you Know on the new scene, I guess, would love to make this like these numbers are unheard of today, you know, by new new artists. Only if, like, Olivia Rodrigo came like uh, had a had an explosive debut, but back then when streaming was not even like a a thing, um, she came through like 360, uh, 375,000 copies is really really good. So she marked actually this was, she broke a record back back then, she was the second highest, uh she had a second was selling debut for a female rapper since lauren hill so congrats to nikki she was eating um the album itself later peaked at number one and became nikki's first number one album so first number one album and first album actually because it was her debut um the debut was also certified three like as of now it's uh certified three uh three times platinum and it also earned Nicki's first nominations at the Grammys. So, yeah. best rap, I think it was Best Rap Album, but also um, Best New Artist, you know? Um, the critics, though, didn't really, at the time, didn't really appreciate it. Like, there were so many contrasting opinions. Some people praised it. Some people were pushing the um, narrative. It was quite, like... Um, Obnoxious, you know. So the people who loved it were honestly appreciating the the effort that she put into like pushing the envelope of female rap and bringing a new and fresh wave to it, you know, reviving the the, the genre. Um. Yeah. So some people, some people like understood the assignment, you know, but um, I think like for example, if you look at Pitchfork's review, uh Pitchfork I think gave it yeah Pitchfork gave it a six point five um review out of 10 and they lamented i guess an overpresence of singing and not properly showcasing nikki's rap skills compared to like the previous um mixtapes a uh, pitchfork i think also acknowledges that the nikki took a veer in terms of marketing and um uh, appealing to uh, mass, a mass audience yeah so but they're sort of like that's what i hate about like critics about pop music they sometimes they don't understand that pop music is supposed to be that you know it's supposed to it's supposed to like be digestible and marketable and yeah, it's supposed to appeal and it's not it's not an easy like an easy um uneasy feat so um that was crazy you know what i mean like trying to make a, a like a successfully marketable pop um record is not that easy and i think she should be praised for that not shamed for it but anyways um, I mean, Nikki did say that she was also in one of their songs. That she, like on on Pink Friday, she was doing all this also to try and get money. You know, trying to get finance to hopefully put out even more songs, and she she succeeded. You know, she was a successful businesswoman. So yeah, she was very uh, successful in doing that. And I think overall, even if you like don't care for uh, the marketing or whatever it is you can i think i don't know personally i I would agree that the beats are the the production of the album is actually very captivating and different from what was released back in the days you know in in terms of rap um so yeah she the, the rap landscape was dead as we said so she was really trying to like bring something new and get all the attention that she could the album is camp. People don't get camp, I think. Some some critics don't get camp. And camp doesn't mean bad. Camp means, you know, different, queer, you know? So, I really appreciate it for what it is, you know? Um, she even introduced for the first time, I think, her uh, newly crowned alter ego Roman. And Roman, by itself, is campiness. At least, it is the definition of campiness. So, cannot deny that she was, honestly, setting a trend here. Um... It also had a, as I said, like earlier on, she had a considerable uh, impact on future generations. Um uh, she literally she did the the pink print. She was a pink print for the rest of the, the other girlies, you know? Um I also really don't mind the singing to be fair. Like some people I know some people have issues with her singing. I think actually it's quite uh, endearing. It's quite different. Nothing I've ever heard before, you know? Um so my favorite tracks are actually the one where the ones where she sings so yeah i think overall she was a very smart um you know artist in that sense because um the project apart from being very different i think she also learned a lot from like the pop scene at the time and she managed to like incorporate a lot of like very catchy hooks that you know make pop music sell out you know so she brought that to the rap game and she Definitely got. Insp- I-, I can see a lot of like influence from Kasha, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, and you know she incorporated those into rap, and that's how Pink Friday became a trailblazer. A trailblazer, blazer, in my opinion, like she had no business doing that, but she did it. She was very inventive, like very, very, very cool. Honestly, um, she paved the way, no doubts. So, how does Pink Friday 2 compare to this, you know, to this legend, to this supermodel? Um, yeah, so, first of all, I think, I want to start with the, the cover art, because that's the first thing we had about the album, I think, like, this was one of the first things we received um, for the album as a whole, so the album cover art is actually probably my favorite one, that like, out of her all, like, all the five albums, this is probably the best one she's ever had, it's stunning very uh like um like futuristic uh dystopian not dystopian actually like futuristic like city pop um you know giving um uh, like uh, yeah a lot of like very interesting like uh visuals in that a lot of like city like modern city city like so like urban uh urban view but like all in pink a bit robotic a bit you know a bit that really loved it beautiful color grading everything is just captivating about the cover art and even the different versions that she put out like the the Shira target yeah target version is also really really cool top notch definitely went out and she also like you know got into the vinyl uh, business of it all. So she is doing it, you know? Um, the visuals in general are in stunning. I think the style, also the styling that she used for the album is really good. Very much appreciated, I think. Unfortunately, the rollout, in my opinion, was... Well, I guess it's like a common opinion, to be fair. Like, it was a bit of a mess. The album was pushed back two times, I think. I believe no clear lead single was also um you know at least communicated to us apart from um she did say eventually that uh super freaky girl was the lead single but was released like a year prior to that so um anyways that's typical um uh, nikki fashion so <laughs> don't i don't really mind that to be fair so she generated a chatter anyways so that's what that's what what really matters you know she definitely built up expectations for the album i think the name in itself already set high expectations for it and a lot of uh people were looking forward to listening to it me included um her promotion uh, i think her promotion was also um quiet like i i can see like there were a lot of like moments that were like a nod to the original pink friday like i think the vmas was it that she <laughs> also took the mic to just like announce the pink friday coming out uh that was a full circle moment with the previous one so so was so, so, uh, honestly cool and yeah she also previewed a song there at the vmas she dropped some like other um promotional singles just sprinkled them around i guess before the album came out it was uh, she previewed also songs that were cut off the album and eventually included the fan favorite one into the album so she did that the barbs of course showed support because they are one of the most loyal fandoms I think um out here in stand culture and Very recently, actually this week, the Gag City, that's the the trend that was going on on Twitter, and I think on social media in general, yeah. Um, It was so funny, Uh, people were using, basically, AI-generated images uh, of other celebrities, actually, arriving in this uh, pink city, that is the Gag City, um, and it's the same city supposedly that is in the cover art of the album, so, yeah. It was so funny, you could see like a lot of people were went super crazy, they put Terry Joe in there, they put Blackpink, they put Cardi B being out of the gates of the city, <laughs> the drag never ends, but yeah, the anticipation for the album was definitely there, and I think it's been trending quite well, honestly, today. people have contrasting opinion on but of course it's a one, like, it's never gonna be a unanimous decision from the get-go, so, yeah, Now let's get into actual music, you know? That's the big part, right? First of all, I wanna say, I wanna put a disclaimer here, yeah. Um, I think, of course, these are my thoughts based on my first, first listen of the album. I haven't had time to sit with it. I just want to have like a first impression and first reaction to it. And this is just a product of that. I haven't had time to sit with it. I haven't had time to reevaluate my opinions. I haven't really exposed myself to, like, many other opinions just because I wanted to have, like, my own fresh take on this, you know? It came out, of course, today, this morning, here in the UK, so, um, yeah. I'm definitely sure that my feelings about the album will change with time, of course, so don't be too harsh with me, don't kill me. Um, I think overall the album is... At times paying homage, like very in a very effective way, actually, uh, to Pink Friday the OG. But I think also at times um, it sounds more like her previous albums, like Queen, more in the hip hop, trappy sounds. Um, so sometimes I think it, it sounds a bit dated, I would say. Sometimes it looks it looks like he's actually veering to like a lot into the Pink Friday uh, DNA and sometimes it's actually very experimental, so there's a bit of everything. I think there's a bit for everyone, I much, uh, like, uh, I, I appreciated definitely much more the Pink Friday nods and the, because like, you know, that's the name of the album, Pink Friday 2, I think it was going to be like an updated version of Pink Friday. But yeah, when she success- successfully, yeah, I guess, like, reproduced those, I think that was where she truly shined. Um, So yeah, I think the common thread here is that it it does have a lot of like singing, um, in some of the tracks, much like the original. Um, but it's definitely way more of any pop album that, like a than like a pop rap album in that sense, right? Um, I expected it, of course, to be more of a pop rap album given the name, but I guess we didn't get that. Um, nothing is not to say that this is like a bad thing at all, um, but my expectations and like my thoughts on it um, before getting to it was that I was gonna receive like a pop rap album and I'm um, a bit sad that we didn't get a lot of that some songs were are pop rap don't get me wrong some 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 songs there are actually really good um, I think the album is quite long actually like it's 22 tracks but some of them are actually like one minute and um, yeah, 1 minute 40 seconds, some of them are, like, they feel more like an interlude or something like that. But I th- I think overall it's still, like, quite, a, like, a, a long, long, long uh, album. It, it could have been much shorter, much more compact. And maybe some trucks, I think, are also filler in that sense. Like, we shouldn't have had them there. We could have done without them. Um, but, yeah, I... Yeah, that's my only like critique in terms of the tracklist and uh, the length of the album. Like, I would have done a, a more compact and like focused uh, tracklist in that sense. Um, I think, for example, there's a lot of um, trappy songs there that like all communicate some sort of the same message. And I think we like, for example, F, uh, FCTU and Bam Bam Dory, like they do a lot already in bringing hard hitting hip hop bars. So. I don't know. I think we could have had um, more compact list in that sense of songs, a more focused one. Um But I think the album also shines like a lot when it comes to those uh, other tracks, right? Um, she had some classics in here, for sure. I think already some of the singles are actually pretty good. Um, so that's already going for it. And I will get into the favorite ones in a few seconds. But first, I want to talk about the absence of, you know big pop, uh, features, like, as I said, um, the OG album had, um, Rihanna on it, for example, like, she had, uh, definitely, like, a, a big, big pop girly there, which helped her a lot as well in terms of, uh, garnering attention, and not, not to say, like, she needed it here, like, she needed, like, a, a more attention to the album, but just, like, you know, it would have been nice to have one of those big pop girlies there, you know, um, yeah, so there was already a lot of like um chatter of like who's gonna be who was gonna be on the album, who's gonna be featured. They were all like hoping either for Beyonce or Rihanna again, but nothing happened here, so quite disappointed in that. Um Yeah. I think I really also wanna like some some of the features here are, nonetheless are really like really really good. Some of them are mm, I don't know, not really convinced by them, but some of them are exceptionally good I think. Um I think my first few listens I saved actually half of the songs so in my book overall the album is a success um it has um yeah it has a lot of um impact in that sense like when an album manages to like at least give you half um like a good 50% of um favorites on first go I think it's definitely a successful album you know Now we have When the Party's Over and you and you like are saying like what? The Be Ice song? Yeah, that's that's the song. That's the song that we had. Because um, that's the opening track. Um Are You Gone Already is uh, the opening track of the album? Um it's um uh, sampling B La- the B The Ice's 2019 hit record When the Party's Over. And um yeah, from her first studio album When We All First Asleep, Where Do We Go. Um I have to admit that I like we all knew that believe was going to be featured in some way into the album because we've we've been you know we've heard the the rumors we we've we've seen it and i have to admit that i was actually hoping that we could get like a full new like original track but yeah i guess we got in the end like a sample and the sample is actually quite extensive you know it's quite like it's basically almost the entire song like put into the track but like pitched up a bit so um and sped up, maybe, as well, yeah, um, yeah, she remixes, actually, some parts of it, and she has verses, basically, on the remixed, um, song, um, mm-hmm. but she lives, she leaves most of the song intact, on that sense, for the rest of the, of the song, yeah, um, I mean, it is a great note to Billy. like, Billy is getting, like, you know, major co-signed by Nikki, it's great, um, Moment for her as well, like she, like the artistry of uh, Billy is definitely like getting appreciated, but also the, um you know, the moguls of the game. But um yeah, I think the song at times comes off as um a bit—I don't want to say tacky, but you know, it could have done with a bit more polishing in that sense. But it's also a very emotional song, I would say. Like it's an ode to her family and her dad not being there for. um for her during this like these tumultuous times and also her pregnancies and not being able to meet her son, she gets very vulnerable and then dedicates a full verse, the second verse, to um, Papa bear her son. <laughs> so yeah, I actually really liked uh, the content of the song itself. Um, she talks a lot about you know uh, her doubts on on fame and the weight of um, the guilt that she carries about being like you know. Super busy and not being able to have a lot of time for uh, song, you know. Um. Yeah, so I think the content is actually really good and her pan comes through like as it usually does. Like the the writing is actually very beautiful. Um, But yeah, I guess I'll take this. You know, we don't have a full song with Billy, but here's what it is. You know, she worked. So let's get into my faves. I. I have a quite like a, quite a few of them i think i started really enjoying it when we got to actually one of my favorite song which is <laughs> falling for you falling for you is um very well produced um it's um one of the most interesting songs on the project um i think her vocals are stuck quite well here she gets a lot of um like interesting productions on this song specifically but there's also specific parts i don't know if it's like post-chorus or it's like a pre-chorus whatever it is it connects like the verse like the, after the chorus she goes into like this um vocal stacking like harmony moment that is like so beautiful like she eats it up there you know um and surprisingly there's also like a, a violin in the back that she's she's using for the track and it's just bliss bliss so well produced one and when we get to the third like final verse she is Honestly, getting me so much, like, she has this, like, crescendo moment in the third verse with the violin, is just so beautiful. Um, and I knew there and then that we had a standout out track, you know, because she goes into, like, some great lyrics there. She says, uh, picture that, picture me giving bitches slack, bitches <laughs> pretending and giving all these bitches piggyback, picture using me and the barbs and never giving back soon. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> giving, giving back, soon as they think they see the light, I turn the picture black she soaked up period um so yeah that's one of my favorite tracks overall and it's pretty early on in the track list so as soon as we hit that i started enjoying the album a lot lot more um so then we got into i think is it right after that let me check yeah right after that i think it's um the j cole collaboration and that song is called let me calm down let me calm down is honestly an incredible track i've always loved j cole i think he's actually really talented uh very artistic um so he delivers on his own i guess but yeah the I really appreciate the production here as well like nikki comes uh, comes in singing in this song as well and she eats she eats she, she like serves vocal you know serves vocal um the vocal chop i think also in the back of the entire song is um quite um refreshing for her it's really cool um it's done very well and i don't know if it's actually a sample or what it is but maybe it could be her own vocals but it's just executed very like you know very well um, J. Cole, as I said, holds his home next to the queen, the queen, the generous queen. Um, I think he fits, actually, the track as well, the, the mood of the track, actually like, pretty well, and he sort of gives you this feeling that she's, uh, that Nikki has come to, like, this sort of, um, like, status, this peace, I guess, like, this, um, period of, like, you know, reflection, and, you know, she's calm, she's, she's, she's peaceful, you know, and, it is a love song as well like it, it is dedicated um to i, th- I think it's dedicated to her man so very cool song then we also have r and i want to like shout out R&B, shout r&b um like yeah r&b is the thing of the song actually <laughs> but it's well, i think it's also a collab um yeah lil wayne i think he's on it yeah lil wayne and Tate Cobang. um didn't really care for the features personally, uh, but I'd listen to it again. It's actually pretty cute. I like the production. So, Slayful. Um, then we have Needle. I have to shout out Drake. I actually didn't think I was gonna like it because I'm, I'm not really a huge Drake fan, to be fair. I don't listen. To, I, I actually listen to a lot of it, to like to his songs. And to be fair, the most recent albums that he put out have been quite trash, in my opinion. But, um yeah it's actually a really good track i was so surprised pleasantly surprised i would like actually listen to it again multiple times i liked drake on it i like her on it they complement each other super well um yeah it's our, it, i think it sounds more like a drake track than a nikki track but it, it's a very vibey song and yeah um it's a very sexy track, it eats, it really eats, I would pop my coochie, honestly, if it came out at a club, I would pop pop my coochie at a club, you know, um, then I guess we can get into, like, cowgirl and everybody, those two songs are, um, pretty good, cute songs, I like them, I saved them up, everybody specifically is, um, cute song, I think it's definitely, like, a club banger in that sense it's made for the club it's made for a club and he also samples the 2002 song move your feet everybody like that (laughs) Uh, it's very cleverly used as well the sample this time around and so basically like she goes into like um i like the choice she made so basically she uses the sample to finish up her verses so like she's specifically the body part like everybody she uses the body when they say body she uses that uh, sample to finish her own lines, which is so clever, so so well executed. Even the features um, on that, they really uh, do that for me, you know? Now, <laughs> let's get into big difference. A big difference is, um, of course, a song that we got a preview for as a side in the VMAs. We just got, like, a one-minute preview of it. She performed it. We were all shocked by, the like, you know, the, the rapping. You know, she was so good. She was eating the girls up uh the verses were incredible the first one was as, as like you know as we knew already it was gonna eat the pen game was 200 and she was coming for our ops like no other so she was really coming for the girls she really fragged them to the, to the mod, you know um but so but, well when i first heard like the preview i think i uh, already had like um premonition that this song was gonna be like a good one but I of course did not expect that it was gonna go into this direction. It's so so fucking good She switches up the beat midway through the second verse when she gets to the second verse she like starts like you know going for it and it's so disgustingly good like oh my god My ass was definitely popping and I had to stand up for this one. I literally had to like stand up on my chair I was working uh, from home while listening to the album and I had to stand up. I had to like I had to do something, I had to move, I had to move, I had to move, I had to move for real, for real. It was incredible. Now. Now, let's get, let's get, let's get into the next song. I think we can, like, easily say that after, like, so many highs, I was definitely enjoying the album quite a lot. Um... Of course, um like Big Difference gave it to me, you know? But after that we all like we also had uh, right after I think it's Red Ruby Dust Lee's classic, we already heard this song before. It was quite good, really, really good. Incredible lines there, iconic. Um yeah. Um I think I don't know if it was like an official like second single, but it was definitely like a promotional one for the album. And Red Ruby Dust is also like the another alter ego of Nikki's, where she literally comes for the throat of her enemies, so, she has no filter there, really cool, enjoyed the song already, so, yeah, then we had, uh, we just want to mention, um, for, what is it called, Forward from Trini, is that the name of the song, wait, I want to chop it all up, and be like, what, it's actually, yeah, Forward from Trini, yeah, very cool nod, I guess, to, the Trini roots that she has, the Trini that, um, love the beat, love the little, you know, Trini beat there, definitely appreciated. And then we have, the, I think, personally, I think is the highlight of the entire album and it's supposed to be, I think, like, well, I hope it's going to be like a big single because um, it's so, so good. It's called Pink Friday Girls and the song gives me everything, everything it's like everything ever wanted from this album like honestly this is like where the album comes definitely the closest to the to the og pink friday like this the next track as well is going to be like very pink friday coded but this also specifically is like it's giving super bass it's giving last chance it's giving um Honestly, Pink Friday, the poppy sounds that I was waiting for, so, 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 so good. It shines, like, it makes Nicki like, literally dominate. It samples uh, Girls Just Wanna Have Fun by Cindy Lau- Lauper, Cindy Lauper, yeah. Um, and she even shouts out, actually, Super Bass, so it is definitely, like, a Pink Friday coded song. Uh, I cried, I screamed, I threw up, it was the best song ever, I also had to, like, set up for this one, I will be listening to this on repeat, because Nikki, make, you know, whenever she puts, she's in her pop bag, she eats, she she delivers, you know, I hope she, please, Nikki, please, make this the next single, I want a music video for this, I want promotion, I want everything, because it really deserves, will it happen I don't know, but hopefully it will, it's, um, definitely, like, you know, um, a deathly duo when you combine it, because, like, the the track right after it is Super Freaky Girl, which is her solo number one hit as well, so, (laughs) she serves, she decided to, like, come through with the last few songs, um, when it comes to pop, then I also want to shout out, shout out Bam Bam, um, is it Bam Bam, or do you pronounce it Bam Bam, I don't know, but um yeah we this was i think this was um was this one of the tracks that was originally not planned to be there but the fans loved it No, she loved she put it in it's really good um we all loved it incredible um i also still to this day love last time i saw you it also gives me pink friday um pink friday vibes like the more like lullaby songs in that sense like the more emotional ones. um she was definitely in her taylor swift bag here in terms <laughs> nikki on the mic nikki mc nikki on the mic you know i'm saying like she has you know taylor swift bag because the song is like the writing is so well thought out it's so like full of um it's a love song like a well not love song but like like a heartbreak It almost feels like a heartbreak song uh so good well it's actually maybe it's not maybe it's like about um cause she talks about like the maybe like maybe it's not actually a, like a breakup song Me like someone who passed oh I don't wanna say someone who passed away but you know well something about that but it's something that is to me like speaks to my inner Swifty core as well so I really enjoyed it so, um yeah I wanna also shout out of course the closing track very cute it's called Um Just the Memories. Very dreamy. She sings. She sings on the track. And <laughs> this also gives me Pink Friday OG. I think a bit more on the vibe of um Moment for Life, I guess. So something like that. So cool. Very like celebratory song. Um Loved it. So so I think it's a it's a good actually closing track. Um really enjoyed it. So yeah, overall I <laughs> quite loved it. The album, like, I like I the album, I think it's actually a very really good album. It's, um, it definitely has is ups and downs. Um, I don't think it's definitely, like, um, on the, like, in terms of, like, uh, avant-garde, is not as, uh, like, you know, daring as Pink Friday was. There was no, you know, camp, uh, yeah, I think campiness in this album was sort of missed a bit. There was nothing of the sort. She veered a bit into the pop, she did a bit of the Roman, uh, but it, it wasn't really giving me the full pink friday moment that i wanted uh that i wanted yeah but overall i think i actually really liked it like uh as i said like when she actually gets close to that pink fridayness of it all she kills it she really does um and even i really appreciate like moments like um as i said where she gets a bit more experimental a bit more out there um yeah i think overall like she literally killed it she comes through like yeah. Falling for I think my top two tracks. Let's just do a top three actually. I would say maybe Pink Friday Girls, um, top one. Then I would do Falling for You, top two, and then um that's gonna be a difficult one. I think I might do Big Difference. Yeah, I think these are the. I think the, like, the blue I should have, should have, like, consistently followed throughout the entire album. Because, like, for example, Fully For You is, like, a very experimental track. I don't think that's, like, remotely close to everything she's done before. So that's, I really, like, I really appreciate that, specifically. Um, and then, Being Friday Girls is just pure poppiness. And then, I think, Big Difference is, like, the hip-hop hitting uh, thing that we enjoy. It's a bit more on the daring, like, more aggressive side. So, um Yeah also a bit experimental with her like yeah i, I prefer her when she, like when she goes into like more of that than the usual stuff that we already heard from her but she's late nonetheless she ate down she ate down yep so this is um i guess the end of the first story stay tuned we're gonna get next we're gonna start talking about terry swift again <laughs> time person of the year stay tuned yeah we're back we're back we're back we're back we're back with um story number dos story number two it's um time person of the year taylor swift (laughs) now just when i thought i was not going to talk about like about blondie again i promised that i was not going to talk about her again in my mind i was like oh no way i'm going to talk about her again in the next episode there's so much more that i could talk about you know but then she decided to you know (laughs) surprises again and i'm like i know taylor swift again again and i'm not tired of it because i will never be tired of it but yeah i think i was gonna be safe but oh no uh I, i don't think you can ever truly actually sleep in the taylor nation these days like she's um unstoppable lately and there's always something coming up every single week honestly so let's see let's see let's see how um How long Blondie can keep this up? I'm afraid she's getting overexposed now. Like, there's so much going on. There's always some news about her every single week. It's getting to insane levels, like the 1999 era in 2014. And I hope that we don't get, also, the shorthand of of the overexposure. I really hope not. But, yeah. This time around, we are celebrating once again. And... I think she's proving once again that 2023 is Taylor's year. She's been nominated this time around for Person of the Year by Time Magazine. And I know what you're thinking, you know? What's so different from the other episode? Well Like, well, what's there to say more about her, you know? Well, this time around, she gave us a full interview on the magazine. And this is, like, quite, like unexpected i would say because taylor after post like uh, her post nineteen ninety nine era which is basically like what from lover onwards uh, no sorry from reputation onwards she has really chosen to be much more sparse and i guess more um closed off when it comes to interviews i mean she even revealed when she put up this uh, interview on instagram that she gets um very specific about her interviews she's not super um at ease when she does interviews, she doesn't like them. uh But yeah, so I definitely was not expecting like a full, full like a full, full, full like interview. Like last week, we had just a celebration for her achievement, and, uh, and that's it. Like she was just nominated, and that's that. Uh, like that's that on that. You know, she wasn't really interviewed by Spotify, so I was not expecting her to like do a full interview. But yeah, she did. So. I actually expected before we're getting into the article itself to like for the article to be actually quite juicy because you know since she hasn't talked uh, that much to us in terms of an interview she was going to probably reveal quite a bit and so like boy we're, we have lots of, like so much to talk about honestly I don't even know where to start um, let's see okay yeah maybe let's start with like who wrote the article um, the article was written by Sam Lansky um for those who are familiar with uh the britney spears memoir he's one of the writers i think there was a total of like three writers on that book but he's one of them and i really enjoyed the, the book the way it was written and communicated it was like a very clear clear cut direct and very like well filtered um memoir for britney so i was very surprised that he was actually chosen to write this because it's a very tough task to do, you know, especially, you know, I think article is much more difficult than actually a book, because a book you have extensive, like, you still have a page limit, I, I I, guess, but it's definitely, like, more lengthy than an article, you know, so you have to, like, reduce up everything, you know. Um, Yeah, Sam Lansky then, so basically I had a, the opportunity to talk about um, Taylor Swift, he interviewed her in New York, and he gave us a great, great article, like a great career overview article like a very like bird bird's eye view um of her career and yeah definitely like something we've never we, we haven't seen about her in a while you know um yeah so we start off with her story the article goes on with like yeah i'm gonna deep dive basically in the, in the article i'm just gonna like dissect it a bit um we start off with her story on of when she almost uh, toured with Kenny Chesney. Uh, Kenny Chesney is a very famous country uh, superstar, like a, a singer-songwriter. And she was, at the time, she was 17. Uh, she was very young, and the gig was ultimately cancelled because Kenny, uh, Kenny's tour was actually sponsored in the end by a, a beer company. And Taylor, of course, was underage, and she was also not allowed to drink at the time. so. I mean, because she was 17, so she was too young to be, of course, endorsed by a uh, beer company, anyway. Um, yeah, so, unfortunately, it didn't go as planned for Taylor. But the year after, after this cancellation, um, Kenny basically gave her a huge lump, a huge sum of money that she then used to sponsor her very own tour. And the girl was basically saddled. Girl was settled. Why does Sam bring up this story? You know what I mean? Like, why why does, does, like, well, he brings up this story as the opener for the interview. It's a story that Taylor told, like, uh, told him when they met. And Sam says that he uses it to showcase the greatest skill that Taylor Swift has, which is the storytelling. The way she actually recounted the story is quite uh, endearing and quite, like, impactful. He actually says that, in fact, it, it is a simple story, you know, they, like, it's just a, a girl who misses her gig, you know? Um, but the way she recounts it, like, the way she tells the story is just so captivating. In 30 seconds, he says she was able to capture his attention and also add a twist and a turn and, like, uh, flipping the script uh, skill of it all into the, into the mix. And she just turned, basically, like, a significant, like well, insignificant, maybe, little anecdote of her career into, like, a very engaging story, which is so interesting to me. That's a very clever way of introducing her. Like, she definitely manages to basically turn the mundane, like, the everyday human experience, like, you know, the, um, the letdowns of life and the bitter stories and also the amazing love uh, love stories that she goes through, breakups and loves and all that, into you know, incredible uh, storytelling pieces, you know, that everyone can relate to and can be super engaged by, you know? He also uses uh, Chesney, I guess. Sam uh, Sam uses Chesney as um, a story, a recurring theme throughout Taylor's life to, like, you know, basically to, to point out this, like, thread throughout her career of basically her... Um, her ability to, th- to thrive despite difficulties, or maybe even I would say, like, even because of these difficulties. You know, her life has always been a constant matter of uh, reaching almost reaching a goal and then being taken down by a bigger circumstance or a bigger, you know, artist or whatever it is, or like a bigger event in her life, only for her to recoil and come back with a double, you know, double the impact, double the strength and popularity as well. So, this is as Sam rightfully points out. Um, is also due to Taylor's ability to use the scrutiny that she receives as a female artist to her favor, like, she flips it around. Yes, she's a female artist, she always gets super scrutinized for whatever she does, and she's able to use this scrutiny, like, this attention that is always constantly on her for whatever she does, to boost both her popularity, but also her, you know, reach, in that sense, to, to more people. Uh, in terms of, like, production, like, yeah, uh, sales and all that stuff. So she is really, like, clever, a really clever uh, businesswoman, you know? Um, Yeah. So I think all these years of success has definitely, like, defeats and returns, like, all this like, cycles that she goes through multiple times throughout her career um, are all part of the bigger picture of how she became, like, So famous, of course, she's always been famous, but this year and today specifically, she's she's become like clearly a cultural hegemon, you know, like undisputed. I would say, like, at this point, there's no there's no you know argument in favor or against her, like, she is, as of now, today, in this era, the undisputed cultural hegemon, you know. Um, And what I personally find even more exciting and astonishing, actually, is the fact that she managed to become the most mainstream artist in a time when it's practically, like, I would say practically impossible to do so. We now live in an age where, like, basically, it is impossible to have everyone tuned in to the same source of entertainment in a way, right? So, whether it's music or TV, there's no i would say true mainstream pop culture in that sense like we live in a fragmented mono like there's no monoculture anymore as sam says like it's just a fragmented world we live in you know like there's so many micro cultures there's no true like monoculture anymore simply because like i think we have now so many sources of entertainment at the end of the day that our culture is just like full of niches and corners that you know it's actually quite difficult to garner the attention of everyone now you know so i think it's even more um a testament of how incredible she is you know because she did it she managed to do it even now where you know everyone has so many different like you know niche interests in that sense i think partially of course it is because of her legacy like she's a an artist that spans like she she's been here for like what more more than a decade now and yeah, she did build a full legacy, but I don't think it's just sim- that simple. Like you cannot brush it off, like saying that she just like has a lot of music from the past. Because uh, like look at, I would say most of her contemporaries are not able to like have the same success. They they've never had the chance to get to this level. Um, most of them have actually faded into irrelevance. Katy Perry, for example, um... <laughs> The just eat. If my in my opinion, if you get to that level that you have to do like adjust eat commercial song, your career is truly over. It's over. Oh, sorry to say that, but it is, it is. And so like this is just to the point out basically that she had the strength and the the luck. It's a like it's a concoction I guess of different things. Both luck, both skills and, you know, raw talent I guess to achieve this dominance, I guess. Uh, Sam, as a matter of fact, proves my point by asking the readers, so everyone reads the article, how many conversations actually had about Taylor Swift this year. And it's actually a very, like, great question, because it really points out to you, like, how prevalent, like, how big she's become. Even if you're not a fan, or you don't really care for her, you have surely found yourself hearing one of her songs on the radio, or heard some people talk about her, or even see some billboards that... She's on, you know. You can, you must have seen some social media ads or social, some, like on a social media posts or anyone using her songs on Instagram or on TikTok. Like she's everywhere. Cities started getting renamed after her. Government officials started imploring her to come to her countries for the tour. She's like probably the first. Yeah, she's the first female artist to become a billionaire um, solely through her music which is insane to me, you name it. Whatever you name, she's probably achieved it, you know? She even made a, fo- like, she even made football, as Sam says, football even more popular. Like, football in America is already, like, the, the biggest sport probably, like, American football is the biggest sport ever in the US, right? And she even managed to, to like, exponentially, you know, revive that sport. Like, what, who does it like her? You Who does it like her? No one. Hello? Incredible. So, I guess, like, my point is that, like, what you can, like, take away from all of this is that she really, truly mastered more than, like, more than just, like, uh you know in general, like, master the, like, artistic skills. Because she has done that. She's done, like, she's proven her point m- multiple times. She's, like, a great artist. But I think overall, she's mar- mastered the art of being a famous person, if that makes any sense. Like, in a world where everyone now can become viral, can become famous, like, becoming famous is so much easier now because there is so much um, more exposure through, like, TikTok and all this stuff. Like, like, you know, it's just so much easier to, get, to be a viral person in that sense today, right? She's the one i think exception that excels at being relevant at being viral at being a remaining viral you know being a constant viral personality you know what i mean constant uh hegemon in that sense I, uh, hegemon really like i think centers the point she is the most relevant person at the moment you know um then sam gets into the swift uh, swift mania in that sense like uh, the beetle mania a bit like sounds very similar to that um he describes his experience at the era Tour as a religious experience an experience that truly shows how big she has become how interconnected she is to like everyone to the fans and the general public in a way uh she truly like has a status now that rivals the the beatles and michael jackson uh tr- a true triumph of the 2020s i would say like a bit 2010s as well maybe um yeah she mobilizes that governments. Also, in a way that, like, you know, she, I think she has such a huge impact on the culture that she sets new, very important, like, trends in, in the music industry. And not in, only in terms of, like, um, music uh, itself, but more, like, the legal and the contract-wide, like, contract aspect of it all. Like, she helped, of course, with the uh, master's situation to uh, set an example, you know? And also, I think, very recently, also with the Aira's tour, um, she even mobilized the government to crack down scalpers and the huge debacle of Ticketmaster and all of that. She's also... Like, she, wherever she goes with her tour, that's the thing. She aids the economies of every single country, and the state, or whatever you want to call it, of many different cities as well. Like, she is just doing more than the government ever could, you know? That's honestly quite funny to me. Like, the tour like the tour she's been doing that like is is truly like a tour de force. You know, it's like a an incredible feat, you know? It's a 180 minute long show with more than 40 songs from nine albums, 16 custom changes, as Sam says, and much, much more. Like it's such an intricate um you know an an intricate show to pull up and um she managed to she, like, she manages to do it like every night, flawlessly, you know? Um, for this tour, she trained as uh, she said in the art interview um, she trained more, the most more, more than she's ever had to in that sense, I guess. She has been prepared for like six months before actually starting to get off on the tour. Treadmill and all, gym, diet, dance training, all that. Incredible. Now, this part had me like sick. She basically reveals that her choreographer for the show, for the tour, was the same choreographer that um, for the La La Land movie, and it was, in fact, suggested by her, um, to, uh, by by her good friend, uh, Emma Stone, so that, to me, was (laughs) honestly, um, like, incredible to find out, because I love that movie so much, I love musicals, I love La La Land, La La Land is one of my favorite musicals ever, just the choreo and everything else was just incredible, and I'm so happy that she brings... That's a good thing about, like, she even explains it when it t- she talks about her family. But I think in general, even with her friends, she like, she has a, um, a sort of, like, a feeling of a family-run, like, friends-run business, in that sense. Like, just... She just has, you know, people that she trusts and she really loves around her, in that sense. And they produce, you know, incredible entertainment, you know, for everyone. So, really appreciate that. Um, and, of course, then... Um, I was also very moved when she started talking about the eras in general, when she goes through the, the very, like, different eras in, in the tour, in the set list, and how she also embraces every single one of them. Like, doesn't matter if it was, like, a cringy face of her life, she still is very proud of it, and, you know, rightfully so, because it made her who she is today, you know? Um, and, of course, she also gets into the two great catalysts that brought her to... Uh, this moment of harmony and bliss i guess we could call it um getting cancelled basically in 2016 and of course the master situation uh being sold to scooter Braun, which side note he's also been burned like buried alive you know he's gone like he has lost the the karma war you know against uh, taylor swift everyone who tries to go after her gets inevitably killed you know cut off forever from the music industry so that's the power that she has. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, she goes into depth um, in very de- like very deep depths, honestly, about the brutalizations that she's had when everyone basically started hating on her. And um, basically, so... Well, I think she, she she got hate like ever since she started, in that sense, because she was a female ingenue that was trying to do... I guess like make a name make a name for herself as she like as everyone should. But I think she got also a harsher treatment than like nowadays young girls who start music do. Like compared to like I don't know uh an Olivia Rodrigo or a well Sabrina Carpenter got a bit of hate to be fair. But yeah, Olivia or Tate McRae, all these people, like they're having definitely got an easier way around in terms of fame because fortunately it seems that the culture has a bit um evolved and like become much more receptive in that sense but she didn't have that easy you know that that much of an easy start in that sense but either way like she realizes from she re- recalls actually the very first moment she realized this was the 2009 a speech that she had at the VMAs when she was um stopped by Kanye West um she realized basically that everyone was seeing her success and they were all trying to find an opportunity to take her down and replace her in that sense, because they wanted what she had, and they didn't like her for the success success that she was having, you know what I mean? Um, So yeah, everything was set into motion, I guess from 2009 onwards. She realized how important it is that she has uh, to completely reinvent herself every single time. So she says quite cleverly, honestly, that it was for her to instead replace herself so that no one else could, changing sounds, changing image, changing clothes, and even writing style, I would say. Um, because if she replaces herself, no one else could, you know? So she rightfully states also in an interview that it's quite hard uh, to be hitting like a moving target, you know? And girl, ain't that the truth. You are honestly so smart and super, super, honestly, super in all of what she does, honestly. Um, she has really, like, honestly, I think, a great ability in understanding and reading, honestly, like, um, a general read of what the, um, music, entertainment, also, I guess, in general, the environment and the public wants. And she never, I guess, fails to actually adapt and deliver, you know? As Nicki Minaj said, so that we can, like, back to, <laughs> to the previous story, greatest of all time, because she's a chameleon, you know? She is a chameleon. She changes, um... Her strategy is constantly, she always reinvents herself, and she, that's why she's always on top, you know? Um, yeah, so you considering the whole, like, the whole story that she, um, like, you know, revisits here, she went from country to some punk pop influences in Speak Now, and she went to the first pop attempts that she did on Red, and then her career ultimately, shif- like, shifted for, for you know, stardom, in that sense, like, for dominance, in 1989. Well, not the year. <laughs> in the 1989 era um and she rightfully calls it the imperial face because she was out for blood you know it, it was an era that brought her so much um success she was brought to such heights and it even made her fall to even further depths later on you know yeah so what i'm referring to of course is like right after her overexposure in, in, in the 1989 era she was um well, they tried to take her down. Basically, Kim. Uh, she reflects actually on the Kim Kanye situation here, and at the time, she really thought uh, her career was over and taken away from her. Right? Um, Kim uh, fabricated this um, fake conversation, uh, this version of the story that was not in her favor. In Taylor's favor, of course. It was like an edited clip where she supposedly agreed to be on this Kanye West song, and supposedly in, in the clip that Kim posted, she agreed to to the song to come out. The song was sort of dissing her. And when the song actually came out, she was, of course, dragging him. Taylor was dragging him for doing so. But then Kim came through with, like, a fake, um, like, an edited video where she was supposedly agreeing to it. Um, She reveals that she actually was, in fact, forced to move to a different country. We didn't know that. This was crazy. Like, she was so impacted by this... um, situation because everyone like i don't know if you haven't been there like if you were not there during that time you wouldn't actually understand how big that was like um everyone started like commenting on her instagram with snake emojis Uh, there were so many like i would say like even on social media death threats and um a lot of like honestly nasty commentary on taters whipped at the time it was really truly like a dark dark time for her um and he took such a toll like i told her that she reveals that she actually had to move to a different country for a full year she was staying in a rental house and she did not leave for a year you know she stopped trusting everyone and she completely shut herself down in that sense and yeah she actually gets very personal in this uh in this part of the interview um it got to a point like the, the hate was so bad at the time i think like, to give you some sort of context, Instagram introduced for the first time the feature to take off your the comments from your posts because of this. Like, she was getting so many hate comments on their posts that Instagram had to, like, factor in a new feature, that, like, allow her to, like, block out the comments, you know? To, like, completely have no comments on their posts. It was quite massive, honestly. Yeah, and it was that bad, and as I said at the beginning when he when gets to this like, very low point, there's always like a, as any other examples in her life, she finds a way to torpedo. She torpedoed the situation, you know? She took her ill fate and turned it into an art, into a form of art once again. And that's how she came up with Reputation, you know? Reputation was born out of this very low point, And what she did right after that was having a full clean slate on social media and shock everyone once again with a surprise, dro- a surprise drop of Look Watch Made Me Do, the song. The, the supermodel that Look Watch Made Me Do is, honestly, is just incredible. And the rest His history. You know, she embraced the rumors about her. She learned from her previous uh, successful experiences with Blank Space about turning the media around. Like, embracing this, um, I guess, character that, built, that, that, that was built by the media. And yeah, she... This time around, it was like a... The media was talking about her in terms of like a very dark and vindictive persona and she owned it you know she took this uh, persona that we're um pushing you know in front of everyone and she owned it and so that no one else could hold it against her you know very very smart very like honestly so so so, so clever i think more importantly the album is also um as she points out is um it's the last album that she did with um her previous like record label uh record label uh what's the name um the big red machine yeah um yeah so this was the closing like sort of also like a closing chapter to that it was the last project she owed label by contract in that sense and she knew that she wanted to like get out of there she wanted a way out and This is because, I guess, like, she felt second-guessed, she says, in her old label the whole time. She wanted more creative freedom, rightfully so. And especially because she wrote and, like, had a big hand in the production as well of all the previous albums, you know? After all, like, if you think about it, it took her four albums to get to pop, pop music. Like, that's quite a long time. She wanted to get into pop from, like, you know early stages as well but she only managed to like convince the label after four albums that she could actually do it and that's when 1999 was born you know so after Reputation came out she signed to UMG Universal Music Group and she has now achieved the freedom she always wanted not only for herself but also I think for many other artists like this was a great move because she started setting new terms for songwriters and creative ownership as well Borchetta which is the old uh, label owner then proceeded to sell, as we all know, her masters to Scooter Braun. Um, and this, like, this other event centering to another, you know, very challenging period of her life. Um, so, yeah, she had all of her um, previous six albums that she worked so hard for so long on. She wrote, she produced. These were all sold to someone who has never even cared about her she he was never like Sco- scooter Braun was never in the picture ever and was going to profit off of her music suddenly for years to come you know that of course she was pissed of course she was not having it um but everyone knows as well how, how, how the story went right she came back stronger than the 90s trend as she says as she wrote all of her songs once well she re um yeah because she be uh, so because she actually owned the copyright uh, for all of her songs because she wrote them. She could, in fact, re-record them um, again and basically own the albums once again, you know? And that is exactly what she did. And United this was actually the most successful thing I think she's ever done, because not only in terms of, um, you know, actually owning, like, a personal matter in that sense, like, re-owning her artistry in that sense, but I think this way, more importantly, she brought all of her... All the all the fans that she picked along the way, including the Gen Z, like, let's not forget, let's not forget this, like, um, Folk Labrador, th- those two albums, they brought in, like, a new wave of fans. Gen- the Gen Z came through, and through the re-recordings, the the whole process, she managed to basically, you know, she brought all of them back uh, up to speed, you know, like, everyone was now finally caught up, and... It was basically like like a constant revival of her legacy, and further cementing, I guess, in a collective mindset that she was, you know, the the biggest bitch on the scene. And best believe, karma is her boyfriend man. All of her enemies have since then falled off, as we, as like you know, as you can see if you follow the media. Um, while she stopped actively actually trying to take them down, she says like that the trash will take itself out. And girl, that's true. That's so true. Um, I also want to throw in there John Mayer, because fuck him, you know, fuck John Mayer. Are you ready to die, John Mayer? Are you ready to die, John Mayer? Are you ready to die? He needs to die. Bless him, not really, but actually, I don't care, you know? <laughs> now, Taylor also gets into a new relationship with Travis, Travis, and I'm so glad she did, because... I guess this is the first time she's actually, like, addressed it publicly in a sense. Like, she has a full interview about it. And, um, yeah, she reveals that basically they've been actually dating for quite a while before they went out for the first time at the first Chiefs game where she was at. Um, She is, show- like, she's showing up for him. She's very supportive. And look, here she goes again, dragging Joe Allen. <laughs> It's never over for him. He's not he's going to get drugged for a long time. You, you guys don't know half of it. She says, "But when, <laughs> when you say a relationship is public, that means I'm going to see him do what he loves. We're showing up for each other, each other. Other people are there and we don't care." The opposite of that, she says, is you have to go to an extreme amount of effort to make sh- to make sure that no one knows what you're seeing, that you're seeing someone, that you're dating someone else, you know? And we're just, she says, we're just so proud of each other. And she celebrates a summer of female success um, because she is the HBAC, you know, she's the, the biggest bitch on the scene. Like she found a man that she loves. This man doesn't take her down, and plus, she's been dominating, like, the entire summer. It's been, like, a very hot girl summer for her, and it's prolonging itself into the winter, which is incredible. She celebrates, um, not only herself, but, of course, other two women. Um, it was a triplet, uh, honestly, of success this year. Of course, her tour, but also Beyoncé's tour, and also the Barbie movie. It was a full summer of girl bossery, I guess. Um, Yeah she makes also she makes it very clear that she's not bothered at all by the attention it, um, she's getting right now with travis but also um in general like paparazzis are always up her ass and she doesn't really care about it because she loves going out and girl as if we couldn't tell like we see you every single day honestly she's been out and about so 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 so, so much during the summer and even during the winter honestly she doesn't care whatever the season she's out and about with her boots her street style that she's been killing it. Um, yeah, it's, I, th- I think it's actually truly, like, hurt more like, like, so sweet to see her, like, finally out and about again. Especially after not seeing her for so many fucking years. Like, while she was still with Joe Alwyn, specifically. We have a clear answer now, I guess, that because of that... Uh, well, apart from COVID itself, but I think also because of the relationship she had with Joe. She wasn't really... I don't want to say she wasn't allowed, but she... Was sort of like held hostage, I guess, <laughs> but she broke free. That's all that matters, you know. She's out and about. She's free. She's going out with her friends, like lively, like she's doing it. She's touring. She's burning the fucking <laughs> carbon footprint, man. She's every single day she's on the jet, destroying the environment, killing Gre- Greta Thunberg, and raging her is not happy, Greta's not happy, maybe tell her you should stop doing that, you know, maybe you should consider, you know, maybe staying in a place for more than one week, you know, <laughs> anyways, the, the article then goes towards, like, the ending phase, and, of course, as I said, even in the last episode, she loves celebrating her achievements with a little treat for the fans, Um. so, yeah, she starts talking about the next re-recording that she's planned, and it is, of course, Reputation. She talks about the uh, Voltrax and how the Voltrax are, quote-unquote, fire. She is so Gen Z. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I urge you to go and read the last paragraphs of the article because they are so captivating and so, like, so well written, so moving, truly a great piece. And I want to end this on what Sam says about her story. Her story, he says, is a story about redemption, about rising, about failing, but failing only to rise again. A hero's journey. Period. Queen shit. Queen shit. Yeah. Like, so happy. This is honestly, like, such a good article. And you can actually get it for free. You can go on the website on the Time Magazine, and you can actually access it for free. But, yeah. One of my close friends, my bestie, she's bringing me a copy straight from the U.S. when she goes home for Christmas. So I'm very glad. I'm very happy about that. I'm so grateful. I can't wait to actually, like, see the photo shoot. Because th- that photo shoot, she looked incredible. Like, so hot. She's clearly, like, hinting at reputation. Like, the looks. She's serving black. Even the late, latest, you know, like, outings um, that she did. She's wearing full black. She's entering, the re- uh, like finally, the reputation era reputa reputa yeah she is ready for it you know she's definitely ready for it she's definitely ready for us to consume more of her media so yeah go take a look if you haven't done so already and yeah let's get into the next and last story dating apps and algorithms we're gonna get academic here bitch see you in a bit And we're back, and we're back. Last story of the day, of the week, of the week. We're going to get into dating apps and algorithms, and I guess we're veering a bit more, as I said, uh, into more, like, academic discussion here, like a bit more, like, a research-based, I guess. I went to a bit of some, like, academic articles here, and just want to talk about this topic. The way it all kick-started, I guess, was from... A couple of conversations I had last weekend with um, some of my friends. And we were, I guess, like, reflecting on the algorithms used by uh, dating apps. And I guess sort of also comparing, like, what we found out about different apps, uh, dating apps. Specifically, I think, Hinge and Bumble, we were comparing in that sense, but yeah. And yeah so we were talking about like just our experiences like how we're finding these dating apps and we came to the conclusion that like hinge really pushes like um very specific demographics to you like the algorithm in hinge is like so curated that it's actually disgustingly like so personal in that sense that it won't show you any variety and diversity i guess in your Dating pool, like very little variety, I would say. Well, Bumble is more like all encompassing, but either way, they're both at the end of the day, despite the different mechanics overall, like they they still have the typical, like you know, dating app blueprint in there. But yeah, and I also saw some TikToks actually during the week, I would say. And I want to actually point out this that while I was doing the notes for this part of the episode after, like, searching some articles online and all that stuff, the cookies, man, the cookies killed me, the cookies basically tracked my search history, and then when I went back on TikTok, I started receiving so many ads about Hinge, about Bumble, about you name it, Tinder, like, I was honestly so fucking annoyed by it, but, yeah, um, so, yeah, so, I saw some TikToks that started denouncing, I guess, the supposedly fraudulent intent of these apps. And now, like, that sparked my interest even more. And I was like, you know what? Actually, I do want to talk about it. Because I've also been feeling some frustration over these apps, personally. And I do want to get into why. And I was also trying to, like, personally explain this frustration in some way. And I'm glad that I did. Because now I have a better understanding of what the fuck is happening, you know? So, of course, like, we live we live in a society <laughs> no we live <laughs> in, a, in an age where everybody uses well many people use dating apps according to like a nationally representative survey in the US um, in 2019 about 39% of straight couples met through dating sites in 2017 and then um, a seventy percent increase was shown from 2009 to 2017 so yeah uh rosenfeld uh, thomas and austin in 2019 did this uh, brilliant article where they sort of you know did a survey study and they showed like you know that basically almost a third of um americans use getting up actively i don't know if of course there's people like actually find some shame in actually admitting it so some of these numbers can be like i guess non-representative but yeah that's honestly an increasing trend that you can see of course in your everyday life and i bet like if your study was done again well there must be some more up-to-date uh, things to consider here but it, it must it must be like going up like crazy honestly but yeah i think my first the first time i started personally using dating apps was when i turned 18 uh yeah and especially I, I would say like actively using them like on the on a weekly basis i would say when i first moved to the to the UK, and for uni, so, yeah, ever since, like, the end of 2018, I started using these apps quite, quite, um, consistently, you know, of course, I deleted them time and time again, and reinstalled them, but they've never, unfortunately, gone away, because that's just the way it is, you know, um, yeah, so, I, specifically, what I want to talk about is, Exactly this, um, myth, or maybe not a myth, that the dating apps are built to keep you single, actually, and not actually help you to find out, you know, your real match. So, I started, like, searching throughout the web for so many truths and, I guess, in search of, like, some stats or, like, some studies about it, just to actually prove or disprove, I guess, this um, the thing. Just wanted to see, like, if I was going crazy or not. And guess what there's definitely as usual it's a nuanced conversation and um i guess the 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 spoiler i guess for the like the for what i found out is that some truths are definitely there but there's also some some lies on the web about apps specifically um so let's get into like i guess i wanna i wanna i guess talk about both sides in a way like mostly like the, the intent of the companies in that sense if there is any but yeah in general when i want to discuss how the algorithms are built in that sense like how they who they work for and what what's their intent you know so yeah um i would say overall the algorithms do of course work in favor of the apps which are first and foremost businesses let's not forget that uh so they have their primary like goal to generate a revenue right they don't really care well i think that the needs of their users come definitely on a second basis in that sense um they have an interest of course in keeping you on the app so that you can use it even more and maybe even um you know they have no interest of course in getting you in giving you better matches and quicker you know matches in that sense because that would mean that you would not eat, need the app anymore and the apps in general will become Obsolete quite quickly, you know, quite fast. These apps are actually, as I seen, I've seen on like so many articles, they're, they're like sort of framed as this, um, like roulette games. They gamify basically to say the entire experience of finding a date. Right, that's the main like point of the app. <clears throat> and some of the articles I've read actually from The Independent as well, uh, news articles. Um, and some psychology journals and some art studies actually they all point to this um, low effort high reward system that is uh, at the basis of this of these apps and on this wiping game in general yeah you're set on the app basically to, on the dating app to scroll endlessly uh, through many unsuccessful matches so that you're not gonna see a match for quite a bit until you suddenly get matched with someone and you're basically hit with this like high dose of dopamine that rewards your uh, efforts basically, or quote unquote like efforts and delusions and all that stuff. Um so that you feel more like sort of like incentivized to chase this feeling all over again and this reward again, you know? So it's actually low effort in the sense that you're literally just swiping. But then when you get a reward in terms of like getting a match, you get a high sense of dopamine and like a high dose of that and you get like, you, you have, like, a very brief reward in that sense. So, the point is that these ge- these apps, these games, I guess we can call it, make dating the rewarding experience itself, you know? And not the actual goal of it all, like, the the point of the app is, like, to keep you on the game, on the dating, on the dating scene, but not actually um, taken, in that sense, you know what I mean? Like, the uh, you, you lose the side of the end goal, which is to actually find a date, you know? <laughs> so yeah um i guess you can sort of explain why you feel so void when you use these apps because there's a lot of people just match like you start hiding a bit on 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 there but you never actually end up going out or if you do go out like you go for a couple times then you're back to square one on the dating app you know um yeah So basically, you go on the apps not to actually find a date, but to keep on being in this floating, I guess, like, I want to call it like that, like, this floating state for the sake of dating itself. It almost feels like a pen pal situation, as the independent says, like, more than actual dating. Like, you're sort of chatting endlessly with someone who you're probably never going to meet, you know? Um, Yeah. So you fill this void that you have of not, you know, finding a match with, the chatting experience and not the actual meeting up or the actual relationship. And the, the, these um, these apps thrive off of this like feeling, you know? <clears throat> and I do think that the apps themselves like definitely play a factor in the way we know filter people even around us, like not in terms of like relationships per se, but like any sort of relationship in that sense, yeah? So any physical encounter we do, we're now like sort of pushing this like um, mindset that we should categorize them and put them in boxes and use our filters like our filters that we use on apps we also uh, apply them in real life which is very dangerous honestly but yeah so the experience is like definitely getting like the more we progress in the sense of like um, algorithms the more the experience becomes more curated and more like adhering to our interests and our um well biases in that sense good or good or bad that they are you know they don't care about that they just care about what biases you have and what like, what's the best product that's going to be sold to you and that's just framing like that you know so we've stopped basically approaching these relationships are like as natural relationships like as a natural like physical encounters between people we take out the social element i would say from it and we just start seeing it as a very cold hard fact and log- logical you know encounter basically to the point where we basically stop giving the benefit of the doubt to people, we are immediately basically ready to discount people, right after a very small and insin- insignificant action, you know, if they like if their behavior or like some of their actions don't necessarily like completely 100% align to what we are used to and therefore, you know, comfortable with. Uh, therefore, we are immediately ready to turn these behaviors into red flags, you know, that we the uh, overused I would say like on social media. The overused term red flag so we create this sort of like archetype in our head when we get first on the, on the apps even before that i guess and on the apps and then on the actual dating um experience itself we create i guess this like archetype of an uh, of ideal match bringing our uh, like i guess the general standards that we have to impossibly high levels and making us proposed even i would say by diversity which i think personally this is like actually the the most dangerous and scariest part because, you know, the beauty of dating, meeting new people, it should be about like finding someone who, you know, brings you a different experience, like a, a different point of view to your to your life, you know? It used to be about finding something exciting, something new, something different, but now it's more like you want something that is exactly like your archetype, exactly like something you ever imagined, you know? and yes i think the, the apps definitely play a role into that with the filters and everything else but i think it's just more like a general like story here where media as well i think plays a huge factor like tv shows um like any sort of media consumption books as well like stories that we read they're all portraying these like experiences of dating as you know very dreamy and not hard truth you know like i think it's just that that's quite scary you know I, then I read this article the, the Harvard article from 2021 that very neatly like analyzes the progress in the algorithms in that sense and they start off like by doing this comparison with like a grocery shopping uh experience right um if you go grocery shopping in a sh- uh, shopping in a sh- in a shop basically that has a lot a lot a lot like a lot of choices in that sense like a v- vast array of choices right um it becomes like sort of like similar to what um dating app is in a classic example i guess of choice overload it is in this sense uh yingar and lepper in 2000 actually presented as a grocery store uh, um, like example as shoppers basically start um, getting basically like exposed to like 24 flavors of uh, gourmet jam so they have a huge vast array of uh, choices in this sense and despite being drawn basically to the to the booth with more choices, right? Shoppers will most likely actually do make a purchase when given a fewer choice. choice. What does that mean? basically when you are given on a dating app, like this huge pool of choices, you're not actually prone to choose anyone, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Yes, it is exciting that you are connected to so many people, but I think the app itself, um, the simple thought of having so many possibilities there is never going to make you choose for good, and you're never going to actually properly have a mindset of settling down, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, you become... I don't agree with the fact that they say, according to the study, they say that actually you become less selective. I don't agree with that. I actually think you become more selective, you become more like... Um, like, I don't know, focused on so many different parameters in that sense. But at the same time, I agree with them in the sense that you, even though you have so many choices... You're not, you're not going to end up choosing anyone. Specifically, I guess, because if you have these super high standards, you know what I mean? So you make, at the end of the day, like the, the bottom line here is that you have um, great great supply, poor choices made, and, you know, it's a supply overload in that sense. And it never ends up well if you know economics, you know? Um, yeah, so I think. One other interesting element about this, like, huge dating pool is that it also leads you to, like, more easily ghost someone, I guess. Let's just call it like that. Because, um, yeah, basically, when you have, first of all, when you have an app that mediates you between so many different people, you sort of don't have any more, like, you have less of a, I would say, like, a shame (laughs) in ghosting someone you know what i mean because you're actually never met a person like in real life and you're basically approaching strangers in that sense so it's definitely there's definitely less stakes in just ghosting someone you meet online you know what i mean um i actually very much agree with this the independent also says that um dating online dating has been fostering some sort of like behavior of uh non-accountability in a sense that we are avoid meeting people in interlinked social groups now we prefer meeting a so that we have lower stakes in that sense we don't have the the burden i guess of rethinking cutting people off think about for example meeting um a date through your mutual friends for example right there are definitely higher risks here higher stakes And you're also sort of, like, pushed to be held accountable for what you do, which is honestly, like, grown-up activity, you know? You have some sort of, like, incentive in seeing this, like, the entire encounter through. Because there are more people involved here. There's not just, like, there's no app that is intermediating between you and the other person. There's other people that you have a close relationship with that put you on the scene, put you on the radar, they introduce you both. There's more to lose here, you know what I mean? And I would say, like, this is not, of course, to say that you should... Feel forced to, to go out with someone. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the point. This is not the point here, you know? Um, either if you meet someone through the apps or you meet through friends, you're not. The point is not that you have to be forced to go out with someone. But I think it's definitely true that the apps pull away some sort of like. Um, the sense of owing, owing respect to someone else, you know? To owing respect to who you're like talking to in that sense. It's not like you're talking to like a random faceless person. We are talking to someone who actually has, you know, interlinked social relationships and also has a life and goals and everything else, you know? So, yeah, dating apps definitely, um, in a way, cut these, like, um, feelings of, o- like, ownership, like, you know, owning up to your own actions in that sense, like, to your own date, you know? Making efforts in that sense, and... You know we're doesn't i think we're definitely like approaching a level in our society where we are more focused on what we feel and what we what we want we're like which is of course a great thing like you should always think about like your own personal goals and personal um you know preferences but also you should never forget on the other side like you should not like let the balance flip on the other side you know You should not, like, discount other people's feelings as well. You know, there's also, like, that other side of the coin that you should always keep in mind. Um, Yeah. Uh, I also would like to point out um, the very dangerous gender and racial separations that the dating apps uh, reproduce in that sense. These apps definitely have some underlying biases, of course, and I think the algorithms play a huge role in, like, creating this dating pool that is so, like... (laughs) Like almost segregating in a way like it starts showing you people from a very specific ethnicity like from personal experiences i found out i was also discussing this with my friends like a a weekend ago that these apps actually show you like once you match for example with a certain ethnicity or a certain age like i don't know a person from a certain like background in that sense you're gonna consistently be shown the same type of people and yes people do have types in their life but that doesn't mean that you cannot fall for someone who's a bit different or a bit you know you know, outside there, you know, like, outside of your, um, strict interests, in that sense, you know, so, yeah, the dating apps are actually quite confining, I would say, oddly enough, like, yes, they give you a wild array of choices, but they also curate, like, curate the experience so much that it gets almost quite, like, cynical and cold and, like, mathematically, basically chosen, in that sense, you know what I mean, like, so it's more like a scientific process than actual, like, you know, a social interaction, um, yeah um so for example yeah in my personal experience when despite not setting any filters like i didn't put any filters in terms of race or uh, ethnicity um but when it comes to to that the algorithm when i when they first like they started learning my pattern in that sense and from who i tend to match with basically and it only starts to show me to show me that specific uh the specific group you know um so yeah again this brings us to the to this debate of whether you can quantify dating find a specific scientific pattern behind it when most of the time destruction absence actually without like outside of schemes like these schemes and these rules but yeah there's also a very interesting addition that I want to put here and it's the problem of rejection (laughs) damn we're getting there we're getting there I think the apps actually have been setting people up, I think, in a way, in a sense that it curates this continuous sense of rejection and makes us fearful. Um, Yeah, like, sort of, like, afraid of uh, specific emotions, like, a very open, you know, showcase of of your emotions. Instead of wrapping your your head around the fact that you can... Like, there, there are definitely so many people around there that don't actually like you we're actually pushed through the apps and through everything else And even the online discourses that we see on tiktok and everything else into this narrative that it's the other person who is toxic and there's the other person who is the problem and that we were loved but we were love bombed and we were like you know sort of led to believe that we were having a good time while you know we were meant to be and all that stuff when then after the fourth day you get pushed away and you don't talk to each other anymore the truth is actually like people change their minds you know people are um you know you th- i think dating is something that you like it's a muscle that you need to like you know practice in that sense and the more you go out with someone the more you realize whether you're actually interested in them or not you know so nothing is ever set in stone in that sense yes of course there's a lot of people who like as i said like accountability and just go out and just go like i said go back to dating immediately because they feel restricted to just one person but I think it's also the truth that you should. Oh, as I said like give people the benefit the benefit of the doubt. Same same like th- same thing goes to you. Like you should actually try your the best your best to go out with this person like you're talking to for more than you know two dates or something. Try to go out a couple times more than that, and then that's when you can make a full assessment, hopefully an unbiased one. You know about putting on a, on the on a plate like all the positive and negative negative things. You know. And then you can make, like, a full assessment. But, yeah. I think the product of this fear, of this, like, um, emotional um, shutdown, I guess, is that we now start avoiding emotional int- intimacy, you know? We keep on going back to these apps that give us sort of, like, a false sense of security in an endless, you know, game that sort of puts like puts us in, like, a, a little bell jar. City path. Ooh. <laughs> intimate relationships, I guess, like, are seen more... As a purely transactional, purely transactional, yeah, and um I guess, like gamified as I said, like um uh, relationship that basically ends up in no one making a move in the end because um you know until they know you know for a fact that you are the one that has less stakes in the in in making a move itself, you're not gonna lose like the more the more you know you're not gonna lose the or you're gonna lose less in that sense the more you're, like, sort of more ready to um, make a move. But this is, like, such a stupid, like, mindset because both people are going to be using this strategy and no one in the end will probably make a move. And that's why most people actually match with someone but don't actually end up going anywhere because everyone is, like, hoping that the other person makes a move but no one actually does it. you know what I mean? Which is quite sad, quite sad. Um, Yeah, overall, you lose, like, a lot of intimacy in that sense, you know what I mean? Like, there's no um sense of you know emotional ultimately like dating should should be about that actually breaking this wall and getting to like a more intimate relationship but you can never truly achieve it if you keep on you know hoping that the other person will do something go out there make sacrifices in that sense like yeah we we like budget our emotions too much you know we try to gain the best outcome as if this is like a win or lose situation you know what i mean we stop making sacrifices and we try to avoid any wastes of energy you know which is stupid because this is not as i said a game of like you know gains and losses you know it's not that it's not that's not the point of dating you know it's about the whole experience about what you gain from it and like eventually even if you have a loss or like you get rejected or whatever it is it's just all part like of the experience overall you know you you learn you like it's just beautiful i think overall like even heartbreak if like yeah it is sad but like you should own up to it there's some sort of like actual like freedom to accepting that you know your emotions are actually very important and that you you're actually owed you know an explanation you're actually owed you know emotional relief in that sense and then if it doesn't work out like you're it's actually okay to like you know be rejected and it's actually okay to cry through it and get over it and get into it again you know it's just that you know you should be more open about it but yeah i think what um i also find very personally frustrating about the apps is that they lead people to build fake ideas in their head about other users this goes a bit back into the the archetypes and these like filtering people around but what I personally mean by that is that whenever I'm using the app, for example, I catch myself matching with people that I find attractive based on the photos that I see, of course. And I sort of get into this, like, headspace where I forget that the profiles, like, even my own profile, actually, yeah, uh, they're not accurate representations of what the people are themselves, you know? Photos are taken from a specific angle to make you look good. You know, the filters are... Sometimes there's plenty of filters used... And it's just like a curated, as I said, again, like a curated experience overall. Like you're trying to put your best foot forward, of course, one like everyone should. But the problem here is that when you do end up meeting the person um, for the first time, you know, physically, 90% of the time, personally, for example, I feel disappointed because that person doesn't live up to my expectations, doesn't look anything like what he looked on a profile, what I had imagined it's just like not uh, and, and it's not a matter of like catfishing per se it is some some form of catfishing but we all do it in that sense it's just like warping reality a bit and building this like sort of, sort of like false sense of uh, what's actually going on um that i started like getting this you know fake idea in my head of like an ideal date you know but then when i go out and actually see the person um it's just quite disappointing uh but yeah so you see the beauty actually of going out with someone you meet in person for the first time is actually that you are truly interested in the person that you see face to face. You know, it's an idea more than the actual idea of the person that you, of the person that you have of them, right? So yes, of course you're gonna have like um, sort of like expectation of, over the person in that sense. Like you're gonna have this high expectation, but it's gonna be definitely like if you meet someone in person for the first time and you are asked out or whatever it is. The idea you have of that person is definitely much much closer to reality than it is on social media you know or on dating apps there's much less like mediation in that sense um of course later on you can always find out that the person is actually not for you at all but at least it brings you to the like to the ground you know you're grounded you're there a bit more and (laughs) you know you have definitely like better expectations in that sense um And you know at least that you're interested in why you are actually seeing face-to-face rather than, you know, through a screen. But I think also it's quite reductive to just dismiss the apps overall. I just want to say that, like, yes, we have, like, we have been overusing them. We have been giving them too much, like, ownership over our lives. But I think they have definitely taught us quite a few lessons to us as well we've definitely become more aware of what we like in a, in a way like we by sending all these filters we become more aware like of our likes and dislikes and it is definitely true that it exposes you to like a much wider pool of choice anyways also i think the key here is that many forms of media always like bring forward this like heteronormative perspective of it all but we tend to forgetting that uh we tend to forget the yeah, that more more importantly non-straight people rely on these apps to meet in safety and you know to sort of like close this gap that they have with um heterosexual couples like we keep on forgetting that we as like i said like we live in a heteronormative world where not everyone has luxury of just asking someone out in person like there's it's just not that it works anymore like well it never worked that like that way for many queer people you know and certainly something that is also happening happening to like just straight people you know so the just like this general misleading assumption that all people are straight definitely can spare actual straight people from using the apps of course but many queer people don't have this luxury and this like ease that is you know definitely provided instead by the apps in some in some way you know so what are we overall left with right well i don't think that we should like necessarily dismiss the apps like disregard them overall like completely delete them and say goodbye to them i think they should be seen ultimately as instruments because they are instruments after all they are apps instruments that should be used wisely and with the right approach instead of like just completely relying on them and without using them critically at all you know we definitely um i've become more aware, I guess, of the dangers of, like, other social media apps in general, like, Instagram, TikTok, and all that, we, we, like, you see a lot of articles and conversations about it, but I would also hope that many people become more aware of these dating apps, you know, um, I don't see why we cannot do that, you know, I don't see why we cannot, like, push the conversation a bit more, have more conversations about it, become more critical of them, um, I definitely think there is less coverage on them, there's definitely coverage, there's definitely a lot of, like, I've seen there's a lot of, like, Articles, but they're not pushed to the forefront, or at least they're not as well, I talked about, because dating is always like a sort of like a private sphere. You don't want to interfere with that. But I think we're com- we've come to a point where you need to like you know have these conversations. And, you know, that might seem uncomfortable at first, but they actually are quite key. Um, so the only way to win to win this like battle in that sense is to spread information, of course, be aware of how to use the apps properly. And what are the biases in the, in the apps, in the algorithms? Who is designing them? What for? Like, just be critical of what you do, you know? And I think also on top of that, with general awareness, we can also start pushing for better algorithms at the end of the day, you know? Better user experiences and better, you know, overall uh, apps. So it's not all bleak, you know? We can definitely, you know, grasp the benefits of the apps without necessarily being hit by a whiplash in that sense. Um, yeah, so, ultimately, the goal is to, like, learn, of course, to coexist with them, because we cannot, like, honestly, at the end of the day, like, escape the internet reality we live in, you know? Might as well learn how to use these tools more responsibly, and just become better people overall, you know? That said, if you're below six feet, stay the fuck away from me, like, ew, disgusting, you're... (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) but anyways (laughs) that was a very more like much more like uh, intellectual conversation man okay kudos to me kudos to me to that and (laughs) yeah i hope you guys enjoyed it this was much like much more interesting than um of course the usual regular, regular things, but I just was, like, so interested by them, and hopefully, this gives you a bit of, a, like, a better, like, idea of what I like to do on on this podcast, like, it's not just, like, giggles and shit like that, it's a bit of serious shit as well, you know what I mean? So, get into it, get into this podcast, and you can follow me on all social media, of course, or you can listen to this podcast everywhere right now, I am putting it on every platform possible, I might even put it on YouTube, like, as audio formats, but, yeah, um, hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next week for the last episode of the year. Bye!